Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicles Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Moira O'Neill and joining me in the studio today are my colleagues Leonora Walters and Kate Bealey. We're also delighted to have a special guest on the show. Lee Robertson is Chief Executive Officer at Investment Quorum, a wealth management firm. Now, in today's show, we're going to look at some smart and sassy exchange-traded funds that have launched this year and maybe can give your portfolio a low-cost boost. We'll also look at structured products um, and these and how they could make you a, an attractive return, maybe, in stormy markets. We'll also have an update on Alliance Trust. And now that has made some big changes following pressure from an activist investor. But first to this week's portfolio clinic, um, which features Robert, who is a 56 year old GP. And Robert expects to retire next year on an NHS pension of £60,000 a year. But he's also going to receive a pension lump sum of £300,000 and he's got, he aims to invest this. He's actually been running a, a practice portfolio on the Hargreaves Lansdowne platform as preparation. But he really wants some advice from our experts as to how he should construct the portfolio. Now, Lee Robertson um, was one of the experts on, on this portfolio, and so we're very happy to have him here. And Lee, you put together a suggested growth and income portfolio for our Dr. Robert. Um, could you just talk me, me through a bit of it and how it works? Yes, of course. Um, I'd start by saying this is a very interesting portfolio, and a very, actually a very interesting case. Um, Robert's doing all the right things. He's doing he's doing his um, his practice portfolio. He's investigating what he can do. He's putting a lot of thought into this. Um, so what we did is we took the portfolio. I mean, it's always slightly difficult because we're not entirely sure of his his personal situation. But um, what we've done is we've gone for a portfolio which comprises, in the main, active funds because that seems to be the way that Robert leans. And what we've done is we've broadly diversified. We thought that the existing portfolio he was uh, he was looking at was under uh, underweight of the US and the US actually is uh, although it's stuttering it is probably pulling its its way forwards now we also thought it was slightly underweight Japan and with uh, with all the work that's going on in Japan what, what's being called abenomics which is the three arrows of of growth etc we thought we needed a bit more there too so what we did was we built a portfolio that's designed to be well diversified geographically to have a bit more in the US, a bit more in Japan, and we built income in. And although Robert says he doesn't really want income, I mean, he's in a very fortunate position, £60,000 a year pension, index-linked going forward. Um, inflation does impact on portfolios. And if, if Robert's retiring now around about 55, he might be looking at a 30-odd year retirement. And whilst inflation is low currently, we think that it will come back again. So what we did is we built a portfolio which is looking at a real return basis. So not just growth stocks, which some people may find interesting because he's not really looking for income. But of course, income reinvested over the long term will work very well against the uh, the effects of inflation. I mean, he, do, he does talk about being able to be comfortable with high risk because he's got this very secure, guaranteed income. And, you know, he's 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 dabbled in the past with investments and, and been burnt. And, and I think he mentioned some, something about another mistake with India where he, he timed it completely wrong. But I mean, obviously, he, he wants to have a bit of fun with the portfolio, too. And I think maybe the, the, the strategy that you're you're 
you're presenting is is a, is a is a nice nice way of looking at things, and he can still have that active management, but it but it's a portfolio that he can draw on if 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 at some point you know his plans go wrong and he does need a bit of extra income, it's going to be there for him, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, thirty years give or take is a long time. Situation mm. can change, you know, health can change, um, all that kind of stuff can impact on what you need to do with your portfolio. He's retiring relatively young as well, because so he's fifty six, so he's got a huge you know potentially. L- 40 years ahead of him you don't you just don't know absolutely yeah. I mean he, he looking at this he may be retired as long as he was working and this is this is the thing now with with increasing longevity and we have quite a few doctors as clients actually they seem to live a long time they tend to have fairly healthy <laughs> lifestyles they keep their weight down and they seem to they seem to move forward so it, he could be retired as long as as he was working um conceivably so situations may change over this which is why we like this real return basis some of the funds for growth some for income but reinvested for the time being but it gives them the opportunity later on could we have a look at a couple of the holdings i mean you've got it you've got a couple in there that we really like that's the you know fundsmith equity that's always an interesting one um that's um terry smith's vehicle and it's got some it's quite concentrated portfolio isn't it it is it's, yeah. a, it's a concentrated portfolio but it's done incredibly well i mean we're in, in my firm we're we're big fans of terry smith i mean he um he you know, he, he does exactly what he says on the tin in the main. And I think as an investor, that's exactly what you're looking for. There tends not to be these massive, despite it being a concentrated portfolio, there's not massive upswings and downswings with him. So I think it, it t- t- one can never predict the future. But to date, it's been a fairly safe bet for investors. Uh, and you've got the classic there, which, which everyone's been buying into, which is the CF Woodford Equity Income Fund. Is that a Me Too fund, or is that something that you should, everybody should be taking very seriously? Uh, funnily enough, we didn't go in right at uh, outset. We wanted uh, lots of people did because um, Neil Woodford's such a great reputation, but he does he does fade in and out of favour. And where, when he was in Vesco Perpetual, there were whole periods when his fund was completely out of favour. But he's a conviction investor, and because we believe in medium to long term investment, we're not traders. Um, we think he will see you through, and his track record shows that. Uh, and actually, since launch, I mean, it, it's pretty hard to argue with the performance. Um, great. I mean, there's, all, there's also, you've, you've got your Japanese exposure there via Linzel Train, um, and, and people might know them via Nick Train, who runs the, the Finsbury Growth and Income Fund, which is UK-focused, but they also have their Japanese um, investment side as well. Can you... Why do you like that one in particular? Uh, yet again, another another conviction investment house. You know, they they tend to go for fairly concentrated um, buy lists. They work really hard at knowing the companies they invest in. Um, so we like their process, and the process has delivered good returns. Of course, Nick Train is very well known. We know because of Finsbury and and uh, Linsell Train UK Equity, but they actually are a very good um, Japan investor as well as a UK investor. Okay, well, that's one to look at. Um, well, moving from active funds onto passives. Um, this week, um, we've been looking at the exchange traded fund market, which has actually seen seen um, lots of innovations um, over the last few years. And 2015 so far has been no different. We've had a slew of low cost new product launches. And in this week's magazine, Kate Bealey has been profiling some of the the year's most exciting launches and de- details how they, they could be used to improve your portfolio. Kate, could you tell us a, a bit about um, some of these um, 
what we've called smart and sassy ETFs. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so I guess the, the smart bit is um, it relates to smart beta. And um, there, there are so many new ETFs coming out all the time, it feels like, and, and tons in the kind of world of smart beta, which is anything where the index is weighted by something other than market cap. Um, so try to look at some which which are actually of kind of real use in a portfolio and weren't just kind of gimmicky, which some of them um, arguably are. Because of course ETFs are used by big institutions to do all sorts of different mm. trading strategies and not all of them are going to be really relevant for a, a private DIY investor portfolio. So you've yeah. tried to pick out some of the ones that are. Yeah, and um, so one of, one of the interesting ones I thought is, is actually interesting because it is arguably smart beta but also quite straightforward and that's the dbx trackers FTSE 100 equal weight um and so that weights the FTSE 100 just well it gives every stock in the FTSE 100 an equal weighting in the index so instead of you know having the largest ones taking up a really big chunk of of the index you've got everything on equal par so it means that you get more access um to the smaller stocks in the FTSE um, you're not going to be kind of exposed to stocks with an inflated share price. And it's just quite a nice way of getting a bit of diversification around an index that loads of people will be tracking. Um, and so DBX Trackers is the first to to come in with this index. and It's a new one for them. So I thought that was quite a, quite an innovative. And Lee, do you, do you think that sounds like an interesting way of tackling the FTSE 100 index? Because that's that index has come into a lot of criticism for being very, very heavily weighted to just a handful of companies and a handful of sectors. I, I think it is a good way. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right in what you've just said. Um, if you're tracking just the pure index in the way it's composed, um, you know, miners make up a big part of it, for instance, and when they are hit, you're really hit in just the plain standard ETF. So I think this is a very interesting way, as, as Kate says, of pulling down to some of the smaller stocks mm. uh, and getting an equal weighting. So I, it, I like it, actually. Great. Okay, what what else is in your uh, bag of um, <laughs> really really interesting ETFs? Um, so other other kind of ways or other guess, I guess categories of looking at new ETFs are things like um, themes or or ideas in the market, and one of those is um, buybacks or share buybacks in the US, and that's been quite an ongoing theme for a while. So this is the idea of um, companies using cheap um, share prices to buy back their own shares, which pushes up the value of the remaining shareholders' investment in companies. And so that, that's been something that's been ongoing in the US for a little while. Um, and so we've just had a few ETFs come out and start tracking that. So Mundi has just bought one out tracking S&P 500 buyback index. And the idea is that... Uh, these companies which announce share buybacks often they have kind of increased share prices or a little share price rally for for a few years afterwards there's there's data to show that's the case so the idea behind this index is you've got some really good US companies which have announced buybacks and they might be going on or their share prices might be heading up for a few years so this is one way you could get in and track some quite interesting companies it's quite a kind of I like it because it's quite a straight forward or it's quite a compelling argument and quite a strong narrative and that is a theme that has been proven um, over the past kind of couple of years and there are some coming out tracking European buyback indices but I think there's slightly less um, weight behind that argument I think it seems like Europe 
is more about dividend payments than it is buybacks. So this is quite an interesting ETF, I think. I mean, it sounds like one that our Dr. Robert might be interested in for his US exposure that he was mm. um, that he was quite low on in his portfolio. Uh, but Lee, would you would you get that a US exposure via it via a passive? I mean, what, what's your view there? Yeah, I, I think yeah. The, the US market is actually pretty efficient. So ETFs are a, a nice way to get into the to the US market. Um, I, I agree that, that this might work for Dr. Robert. Um, but of course, something like this, you've just got to keep a real close eye on it. Because as the companies stop doing the share buybacks, and the, and the share prices begin to settle, you've got to be on top of that. And it's very, it's very easy to sort of not forget your portfolio, but forget to monitor it. And if you've gone into this mm. particular type of strategy, you've got to make sure that you're watching for when it's no longer suitable. Yeah, it definitely is a, a trend, not a kind of buy and hold it and yeah <laughs> yeah um i mean with with these innovative new products as well i suppose you've also got to watch that they're actually doing what they've said they're going to set out and do because that with no real track track record there you've got to keep a closer yeah. eye on them we, we've talked about this in previous podcasts mm. haven't we that yeah. um that smart beta lots of the smart beta is still unproven some of it's beginning to come mm. through so yeah you're absolutely right i think with with etfs it's very easy to become a bit more of a trader so you've got to really keep an eye on what's going on and are they actually delivering what you hope and not get too emotionally attached to anything in a portfolio if it's not working you've got to get rid of it so from active funds to etfs and now we're going to look at structured products which are another another type of fund um actually um we found that they some people are saying they could be a really useful addition to your portfolio um, with rate rises on the horizon and market uncertainty because they aim to protect against market downside and they are aiming to achieve a defined outcome. And, and Leonora Walters um, has been looking at how, how these kinds of products work. Uh, as well as some key risks that you should be aware of before you invest. So, Leonora, can can you tell us why um, some experts are saying investors should consider a structured product? Yes, I mean, structured products can offer the chance for better returns than investing directly in the market. Um, they, these are investments backed by a counterparty where the returns defined let's say, by reference to an underlying measurement, such as the FTSE 100 with returns delivered at a defined date. I think the easiest way to explain what to do is to give an example. An example of structured product might be where you invest some money and the product will give you 65% on the investment if the FTSE 100 is at the same level or higher on the day the product matures in five years' time. So all going well, it could be very attractive. Now, as of all investments, there's always a downside. Um, if the FTSE 100, in this hypothetical example, um, let's say is below that level, it'll return you investment capital, um, but um, nothing else. So um, I suppose you might as well have been in cash. And then if some products, say the FTSE 100 fell 50%, then you might have your capital reduced by the equivalent fall in the FTSE 100. So I think what these products do, they're almost like a you know a bet on the market doing certain things. So they can beat the general direction, um, but um, you know it, it's slightly binary. You know one one FTSE 100 say one point below, and um, you know you could um, find yourself making losses that perhaps you know you. 
you you wouldn't otherwise. Um, with the current market volatility, um, I suppose theoretically it is more risk of products falling below the level required for the product not to give you return or reduce your capital. That said, um, recent research by CompareStructuredProducts.com shows that um, few structured products have fallen below the level necessary to lose capital. And I believe in the recent correction, nothing, you know, nothing's um, sort of like hit um, those levels yet. So, um, you know, nothing unpleasant yet. I think another advisor also points out that, that typically a lot of these products need to fall you know, 40% or 50% for you to lose capital. And it's quite unusual, let's say, maybe for the FTSE 100 to, you know, lose that amount over, let's say, a five or six year period, which is typically, uh, you know, what these products are structured over. Now, what advisors do point out is that um, some of these products are taking a bet, let's say, on whether FTSE 100 or other indexes. But there are some providers who will put together, say, a basket of four stocks. And if any one of those stocks, for example, was 50% below its starting level, then you might lose capital. Now, that's a real risk because individual shares can go down. Um, I mean, we've seen, for example, you know, commodities having a bad time. Another one that advisors actually specifically pointed out was Tesco because that is held in some of these products. And as we all know, Tesco is having a really bad time. So I think their general advice is if you are going to do these things, don't get one linked to a basket of four stocks. Get one linked to, you know, a large, broad index like the FTSE 100. I think you have to be very mm. clear about these, about what the actual risks are in the products. I mean, they can, some investors find them really, really useful. Mm. We've, we've filled a lot of negative stuff just there, but yeah. they, a lot of people do find them useful for um, sort of balancing the overall risk in their portfolio. Mm. Lee, um do you use them at all in your clients' portfolios? Uh, not often, if, no. if, if I'm completely honest. I mean, I, 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 I get everything that they're meant to do. I, the worries I have, and I think Leonor is absolutely right, if you're going into one with just a few stocks, you're really in trouble. I mean, just look as Leonor says, Tesco's, VW at the moment, all this kind of stuff. It's very easy to, to come a cropper. So go for a much broader index or measurement. We don't use them particularly. Um, we find that in the aggregate, they tend not to deliver that much more than cash. Um, I mean, for, for every winner, there's a loser. And my big worry at the moment is, whilst it might not feel like it, the FTSE is actually at a fairly highish level. And if you're going in right now, we may, if we get a big pullback, we may, we may see some, some real trouble down the line. In five years, which most of them tend to be, is a long time in investment terms. So we tend to go more the active and passive route than the structured route, if I'm honest. And if you want to lower the risk in a portfolio, um, you would, would you introduce cash or fixed income instead rather than using a structured product? We would, yeah. um, although fixed fixed income itself is a fixed interest a real problem at the moment because it's with a strange period with bonds and bond yields and stuff but uh, but typically in a normal period that's what we would do property uh, bonds etc so at the moment are you just really using cash as the the risk we tend to be uh, cash and a bit of property although property in itself is becoming a crowded trade it's quite a difficult time for investors at mm -hmm. the moment Leonora were there any positives you can you can bring out of the structured products I mean you have identified a few products that people might find interesting yes and in, in, in the article um, I think in, in terms of um, positives is really the um, uh, 
statistics on you know products that have fallen below their barrier and there, there aren't that many that have done that so so they have been doing their job really yeah, yeah. they have been well not necessarily doing their job but they let's say even if they're not necessarily hitting the level at which you have to hit to get i don't know eight times your investment or whatever um you know i don't think that many of them have fallen below the level at which you start to lose your capital um i mean there have been some but not that many I think also they've got much better over the years. I mean, it, it, if we think back a decade, every bank window had had structured product posters mm-hmm. in them, and they were linked to very strange indices and things. So I think they have got much better. They're much better governed. Professional indemnity insurers insist on that. So I think investors are in a better space than they probably were a decade and ago. And the counterparty risks are, are highlighted a lot more these days since we've had you know, Lehman and all sorts of disasters, you know, the credit crisis. I mean... Um, the, the, a lot of these products, they're backed by a, a, a bank usually uh, and you've got to look at who that counterparty backer is and whether you think that they're a strong enough institution, don't you? I mean, that, that's the most difficult part because who would have thought Lehman's, one of the biggest banks in the world, one of the biggest counterparties in the world, and it, it fell over. Um, mm. So lots of people were wrong-footed. And I don't think any amount of due diligence would have, would have foreseen that because governments missed it and regulators missed it, never mind individual investors. I'd say that that was, in some ways, it was a, a kind of like quite a bad one-off event, because I asked the prize again, I said, has any other counterparty on, you know, kind of UK-structured products defaulted since Lehman? And said, no, they haven't. So you could say, in a way, that was kind of sort of the proverbial black swan. Um, and um, it's certainly not, you know, it's not, not usual. And you can also get an idea of how strong a company is by looking at its credit rating. I mean, again, I think, like Lee said, it, you know, it's not going to predict a black swan event. But um, you can choose products with financial institutions considered to be stronger. Um, and, um, you know, if, if you don't want that risk, um, ones of slightly lower ratings typically will pay you more. So I suppose in a way you get compensation for perhaps a slightly riskier one by getting a, a bigger return. Well, that, that sounds like a sensible advice, Eleanor, for, for anyone who's interested in, in a structured product. Um, so now moving on to another type of investment. This is investment trusts. Um, we're, we're going to look at goings on at Alliance Trust, which is actually one of the UK's largest investment trusts. And it's had to introduce some drastic changes following pressure from one of from an activist shareholder called Elliott Associates. Uh, Leonora, you've been following this story. What has happened? What's the latest development? Yeah, it's a really long-going saga. I mean, Alliance Trust has had problems of activist investors for years and years and years, um, which uh, in, in some ways is quite fair because the funds performed badly in its trades at wide discount to net asset value. Earlier this year, um, it came to an agreement with... Um, a shareholder called Elliot. Um, Elliot agreed it wouldn't publicly um, put pressure on um, Alliance Trust and it wouldn't agitate at a public meeting until the AGM in 2016. I think that's spring 2016. And Alliance Trust in return said it would appoint two directors to its board that Elliot suggested and that it would conduct a review on ways it could improve itself. Now it's done this review and the results of the review have suggested a few things. Um, first of all, um, its board is becoming fully independent, which means Chief Executive Officer Catherine Garrett-Cox will leave the board. Uh, that's quite a high-profile departure, but she is continuing on. She's going to be Chief Executive Officer and a director of the investment subsidiary Alliance Trust Investments. Um, I think other major savings are, are cost-cutting, 
Um, it's got um, um, Alliance versus two subsidiaries and um, it's going to put some cost cutting in place at Alliance Trust Investments and it's looking to save around six million a year and it's hoping that Alliance Trust Investments will become a profitable business, um, a monthly profitability by the end of 2016. I mean that, that has been a gripe of people that these subsidiaries are taking a long time to become profitable and a drag on it. Um, I think in terms of accountability, Alliance Trust is actually um, it's going to try and be a bit more transparent and introduce a benchmark because it wasn't doing this. So now it's going to measure itself against MSCI or All Country World Index. And if it doesn't beat it by at least 1% a year net of fees, a full review will be undertaken and there'll be consideration given to outsourcing the, manager, the management to external managers, um, which is again a, a suggestion of um, Elliot. Um, Alliance Trust has struggled, I think, as I said, performance-wise. It's, it's actually done a bit better over the past year, but it does, it does tr typically trade in a, a discount now between 10 and 15%, which is fairly wide. But now they like really um, focusing on trying to bring that into single-digit uh, discount now, which is probably a more um, usual level for an investment trust. Um, and the other thing they're doing is, is cutting costs, and they're going to try and bring down the ongoing charge to about 0.45%, which will make it one of the cheapest investment trusts. So at the moment, it charges 0.69%, which is, is not bad. I mean, it's not bad for an active fund, but considering the underperformance in the past, then may, maybe it's a bit much to ask that. So should we all be rushing out to buy Alliance Trust now? It's making all these these changes. I mean, how 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 are analysts receiving these well, changes? Well, they're not saying rush out and buy it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think there was, there was one comment saying that the discount level and the, you know, the future promise was attractive. But most analysts are like, hmm, proof of the pudding will be in the eating We'll see what happens. It's been performing better for a year. It's only a year. Um, and um, some of analysts are saying, well, you know, they're making some, they're not really changing the equities portfolio, you know, so um, they, they, are, they are going to like get rid of some, let's say what they call non-core investments, but apparently they only account for around 6% of assets. So one analyst says, you know, how are they going to start beating, you know, this benchmark regularly? if the equity portfolio is not really changed. And then there's other analysts saying, well, yeah, you know, it, it could be interesting, but it's early days and there's lots of other global growth investment trusts. And they name ones like WIT and Bankers and Foreign and Colonial Investment Trust. So I think their line is, well, you know, why take a gamble on that when you can get, you know, probably a, a more 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 reliable performance off a, you know, one of many other global growth investment trusts. Well, Lee, I can see you nodding your head in agreement there. What's your verdict on Alliance Trust and what investors should be doing? Well, we keep talking about it, don't we? Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm with Leonora I, I, and, and the analysts that she mentions. I think there are other there are other ways to do this. F&C would be the way we would do it. I, I think they're not really changing the equity portfolio. I think how much time and distraction is all this activism taking? Um, much as I like Catherine and what she's tried to do, I, I, I think it's um, it's just too messy for me to to have confidence to put my clients in when I know there's other stuff out there that, that, that will do better, has a better track record. Whilst the discount might look appealing, it's just a bit of a leap in the dark for me. And, and part of what we do for clients is we're always about capital preservation as well as growth. So I'm just not sure I could risk their capital with it. So that sounds like it's a, it's a no from you. It's a no from me. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I'm staying staying on the subject of investment trust, just, just for a minute, I'm delighted to tell you that Leonora 
has recently won two prizes at the Association of Investment Companies Press Awards. She's picked up Best Consumer Financial Journalist and Best Use of Social Media. Um, so then those awards were voted for by investment companies, their managers, brokers and analysts. And Leonora, it's a fantastic achievement and we're all really proud of you. So well done. Congratulations. <laughs> Now, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. So thank you to Leonora and Kate of the Investors Chronicle and thanks also to my special guest, Lee Robertson of Investment Quorum. You can read more about investing in NHS pension lump sum. Uh, you can read about structured products, exchange traded funds and Alliance Trust in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Thank you for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.